welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello, and welcome back to OK Sis. My name is Mads. My name is Scout, and today I am very tan. I'm very tan because I just got back from Tulum last night. I don't think I have seen a tan line on my body since I was 14. Wow. I wonder what that's about. Well, you know, we aren't really like laying in the sun type of people. I'm very conscious about ruining my skin. And we took on, you and I both took on a completely different persona in Tulum, which we will not get into this episode because next episode, sisters, we are going to recount our entire trip to Tulum for you. But I just am on Zoom with you right now and I'm looking at my face and it's golden. Yeah, Golden hour, except that you don't like golden hour, but you are glowing, Scout. You look like a sun, a soft sunrise in the golden days. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's good. I should have added to our hot takes episode. I should have come a little more <laughs> prepared to give you a compliment, but that's all you got. Oh, right. Because you coming prepared to give me a compliment is very on brand for you. I know. I know it is. Anyways, I picked up Looney from dad's house today and she's depressed. She's depressed right now. Well, she wasn't, wasn't she excited to see you or no? No, not excited to see me or Adam or come home. It's probably because dad gives her real food. Dad gives her real food and he had two other dogs there, B and Bentley. And so she had friends. Now you know what this means. I need to get another dog. Yep. No, I. it's like I'm I was. Oh, shit. That's what I was doing. I literally was walking to my computer, going into my email, but I got confused or I got distracted by another email. Don't you hate when that happens where you're like, oh my God, I was supposed to be doing one thing and three hours go by. Yeah, I was actually, my intention was to email the breeder we got Looney from to see if she had more little puppies, little puppies available. Wow, that's a big advancement in your life. I mean, me and Adam have been talking about getting a second dog for a long time. Oh, okay. I'm not part of the, you know, marital conversations behind closed doors. So well, I wasn't that's, aware. That's because you and your boyfriend are not the biggest fans of my children. So children. <laughs> Looney is adorable. You know, I love Looney. She is just kind of psycho. Like she just is like an energizer bunny. And like sometimes when I meet people with my similar energy, wavelength and energies we clash so me and Luna clash a bit because we're both highly energetic beings yeah now you know what it feels like to be in your presence all the time yeah exactly okay sisters let's get into this episode well wait 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 wait. we have one announcement oh sorry sisters if you are in the Los Angeles area or live near the Los Angeles area and want to schlep and come see us, we are doing a little IRL meetup in 
partnership with Geneva. I was like, what's the word? In partnership with Geneva, which is our community-based app, which we fucking love. It's called our community center. If you want to join it, you can go into the link in our bio and in the show notes. But we are doing a actual meetup. We're going to have a little picnic at Holmby Park. It is this really, really cute park in Los Angeles. It's completely free. It's on Saturday, October 2nd from 4 to 6 p.m. Bring your friends. Bring whoever you want. We're going to have free wine and pizza for you all. We're going to get some natural wine because you know I'm all into the natural wine and get really, really good pizza. And we just want to meet up with you guys and we'll have a little dance party. We'll have a little picnic. I mean, the vibes are going to be immaculate. This is so exciting because the last time we met our sisters IRL was at our live event, January 2020, right before the pandemic hit. So I cannot wait. Mads, you have to tell them how to RSVP because I actually don't know. You know that. Great. Honestly, if you just want to put it in your calendar and just show up, that works. But if you do want us to send you a Cal invite just so that you for sure know that it can be in your calendar, you can DM us and say, hey, girls. I want to come hang out with you IRL at the park. And here is my email. That's all you got to do. Just DM us. I'm going to backtrack on Mads. You definitely have to DM us with your email and let us know you're coming. Don't just show up. We got to know. We don't know how many people are there, Mads, to get the pizza and the wine. So please DM us on Instagram at OKSIS Podcast with your RSVP. Dress cute or in sweatsuits, whatever. You know us. All the things work. Maybe I'll come in a, you know, some heels and a silk skirt and Maddie will come mm. in a head-to-toe sweatsuit. You never know. It's a park. It's a park, Scott. You know, the world it's is my park. canvas. The world is my canvas. All right. Well, I'm not going to hold you up when you wear heels in the park. Anyways, I'm so excited to see you, sisters. I'm excited to eat pizza. Like, when the fuck is the last time? Well, I guess I had pizza in Tulum, but like in a park. You know, when you like... Oh, my God. I eat pizza... When you like get pizza to go. I haven't gotten pizza to go in a long time. I cannot relate to that statement. I literally have pizza maybe twice a week and I fucking love pizza. I get it to go all the fucking time. Oi, that's a, oi. I didn't realize. Well, you know I love pizza. I know you love pizza, but like twice a week, that's a lot. There's no limitations with me and pizza. I will eat it whenever. And I eat, look, I don't eat like Domino's twice a week, even though I love Domino's. It's... You know, it's like gourmet, like, you know, trendy pizza. It's not like, you know what I mean? Yeah, you would be um, happy to find out that the CEO or founder or whatever of Hill House, she was featured in Elle, I think it was magazine. I was reading Elle magazine. And she says that one of her favorite snacks is Domino's pizza. Literally, she gets Domino's pizza. So I think you and her have a lot in common because I feel like you, the fact that you don't have the nap dress is interesting to me. I don't know what that is. Oh, oh, and does do I know something that you don't know? Because the nap dress is like the trendiest cottage core shit possible. <laughs> OK, well, I disagree. But uh, yeah, you disagree. This woman is- no, you can't disagree. Hill House is like literally it was the dress of the last year. I thought you were talking about the church. Okay. Is that what it's called? <laughs> no, we're done. I can't believe you don't know this. I'm going to send you this on Instagram. The fact that you don't okay. know this dress is okay. shocking to me. Okay. I apologize. I think I do. Know. It's like a linen, like no. big dress, long okay. dress, like no. sack dress, right? No, I'm just going to send it to you because this is. All right. Anyway, so there will be pizza <laughs> at this place. And this is why you all have to DM us to RSVP because we, we need to know how much pizza to get. Look, we're going to get a lot of pizza. So just let's 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 meet up yes oh we can't wait okay let's get into this episode we I I I will speak for myself I know Mads has similar sentiments but 
I was so beyond excited to interview Brett, who is the founder of Edie Parker. It, when I think of Edie Parker, I think of such a timeless brand that has been around actually only what she said 10 years, but for me, I feel like it's been around forever. Um, so to pick her brain on someone who not only has trailblazed the accessory community or the industry with her purses, but is now into the cannabis industry was amazing. Yeah, she is such a gem. We connected with her on such a visceral level, it felt like. We uh, we just had the greatest conversation and she's super rad and it was amazing to learn from someone who has scaled a business uh, to her degree. So and enjoy. Oh, I was going to say, and Brett, if you're listening, come to Shabbat next time you're in L.A. Yeah, Brett, open invitation to Shabbat next time you're in L.A. Yeah. So enjoy, sisters. We love you. One of the most surprising side effects of postpartum for me was that my hair started shedding right around the crown of my head. Now I have these random baby hairs sticking out near my forehead that I just can't figure out what to do with. Yeah, I keep asking you to tame those down, but they seem to be very stubborn. Yes, I know, Mads. After a few months of me not seeing improved hair growth, I knew I needed to give my hair some extra strength and support. Enter Nutrafol. I just got the Nutrafol's postpartum supplement and I'm so excited because I'm committed to supporting my hair health now that I'm postpartum. The next six months is going to be me and Nutrafol. I might not be a mother like Scoutala is, but as you sisters know, we are always on a hair journey here on OK Sister Podcast. I am always looking for a way to up my hair health game. I love Nutrafol because they have a whole body approach, multi-targets, underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker and stronger hair. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code OKSIS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code OKSIS. That's Nutrafol.com promo code OKSIS. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. 
I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once, the white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless design. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. (gasps) Brett! Hi! Okay, Brett, you are the second female Brett that is near and dear to my heart. I don't believe you. Who's the first? My best friend is named Brett, and she's a woman. So literally, when I think of the name Brett, I think of women, but it's very rare. I feel like I know all the girl Bretts. There are so few of us. How old is your friend, Brett? She is 27. Her name is Brett Merman. She's from LA. Does she work with Jason Weinberg? No. 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 Is her is she friends with someone who works with Jason Weinberg? I just talked to a girl who works with Jason Weinberg who's like, I have a friend named Brett from LA. I bet <laughs> it's the same one. I bet it's the same one. There can't be many. Because she was in that age bracket. And I was like, oh, I don't know her because she's too young. But I bet it's the same girl. And see, once again, I know all the girl Bretts now. All the girl Bretts. We love it. We love to see it. Well, thank you so much for being here. We are so delighted to talk to you today. I mean, you're delightful. Also, I want a microphone. How come I don't get one? Can you hear me? We can hear you. You know what? Oh, we can hear you. I was thinking like, should we send our guests microphones? But it would be a fucking logistical nightmare to get them back. But yeah, that would be pretty cool if we all were mic'd up. It's it's not as it's not as glamorous as it looks. I feel like the microphone. We just do this, Brett, because we are professional podcasters. So like we have to. Someone told us that someone told us that we were professional podcasters. So we got to get the right equipment and all the good stuff. I think you guys should get branded microphones or at least put some decals on them. Have a couple and send them to your guests. Brett, can we get Edie Parker microphones? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. But we could make you like a wrap. I mean, I don't don't think we've like ever made a microphone, but we could make you like some some stickers, some decals. We can make something. Yeah, yeah. that's what we How sick would it be if it said scout in your brand, that would be, that's like the next level of brand advertising is now you're making custom microphones for podcasters who are putting the shit on TikTok and Instagram and it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. We've solved it. 
We've solved we've it. So- we've solved it. Okay, so I was doing um, my research because obviously Scout and I are huge fans of Edie Parker and what you've built. And I read that the first time that one of your bags was on a red carpet was the Met Gala in 2011, I believe. Right. And, you know, we're just fresh off of the Met Gala that just happened now. Is it surreal to think back to that time and that that was like your first big celebrity moment, if you will? <laughs> this just feels like the Washington Post did so research. Impressive. Thank you. you know. um, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know that it feels surreal. It just feels to me like whenever anybody asks me a question, which is like, when do you feel like you made it? And the answer to that is like, I never feel that way. I still feel like every day I'm like, ooh, I hope that we don't go to business. But the moment that like was the most grand exciting to me, if you will, or like, wow, we're doing something that's resonating was that Met Gala because Kate Hudson was like, super duper pregnant. It was like, you know, it was such a moment. It was the first season. We had just like in quick succession, we were in that April issue of Vogue um, and then met Gala May and like went into Barney's that month. So it was just this really special moment for me. And I always think of it when the Met comes around. That must be the most because, you know, we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and I think we feel this way a little bit with OKSIS as well as like with my agency that I do that people think that when you get into a business or when you start a brand, et cetera, there's kind of like one moment where it finally makes sense and it all pops off, et cetera. And sure, I, as you just said and kind of dispelled that myth that your bag was on the Met and like still today you're like, are we going out of business? I think it's just this constant kind of chatter in the back of our head. But to have a moment like that is so special. In While it was happening... Because I find that sometimes when big moments like that happen, we don't actually understand it till maybe a couple weeks later or maybe it hits us. What was the emotional processing of that moment like for you? So I would say I understood it and I understood it through the lens of a PR person because up until that point I had worked in PR and I had worked for Gucci and I had worked for Dolce & Gabbana. So for me, the process of like getting something on a red carpet like that when We are not a ready-to-wear brand. We're not a brand that advertises. We're not a brand that had any budget to pay celebrities or stylists or anybody. So I think because I was aware of the inner workings of like what it takes to get someone to wear something, particularly an accessory is like the last thing that somebody chooses, right? They don't really care unless it's like jewelry in their contract, but they're picking a bag as they're sort of walking out the door at their last fitting. So I think I was just really excited about that moment. And I felt like further to what you're saying, it was like, no matter what happens, because that was, as I said, the really, really early days. We hadn't even, like, we were just launching. And I felt like no matter what happens, even if this is like a total failure, here's a moment where, like, I can keep this forever. Like, I, this is a moment that I will get to have. And I did something that meant something to me. Obviously, it's like in the grand scheme of things in the world, it's like nobody cares. I can't have some more, but I cared. That's so beautiful. Mads, you want to say something? Yeah, well, you know, Scout and I were chatting before, and we like to structure these conversations around a particular theme and something that we've been so in awe of you over these years is the way that you have continued to stay relevant with Edie Parker. I mean, obviously it's probably gone through so many evolutions and you've probably pivoted so many times, but there still is this essence of, you know, your bags are such statement, stand on its own pieces. They are just so delightful to look at and to even collect, if you will. But I think one of our biggest questions that we want to learn from you is as you've built this business, what are kind of the, the biggest tips for scaling and remaining relevant that you have learned over the years? 
first of all, thank you. And I don't share that sentiment. I think like, you know, look, I think that there is something to just staying in business, like just keeping the lights on, like not burning through all your capital, being smart about growth, because I believe particularly in fashion, like if you can just survive, things are, are secular, right? Like they come back usually. But I think, you know, we made so many mistakes early days. You know, we had this sort of like explosive growth in the beginning and did a lot of things right. And that was followed by doing so many things wrong. And I think where we are now and what I would say to all sort of budding entrepreneurs is do the thing you're good at. You know, like we launched evening bags and we launched, launched personalization and that was successful. And so then I was like, oh, well, we should be every bag to every girl. Like, why aren't we with her Monday through Friday during the week too? Um, during the day, I'm sorry. And so we started to do all these other bags that like there was just so much competition and nobody needed it from us, right? Like the, the goal is to fill a white space or to do something that you do better or that nobody else has thought of. And so I think that's how you stay at least in business and hopefully relevant. And it's why we, you know, in 2019 launched a cannabis brand as part of our, you know, fancy handbag brand, because that's where we saw the puck was not, and that's where we wanted to go. Okay, I know Mads really wants to get into the cannabis stuff, but I just have a fashion-related question because it's something that I have been thinking about a little bit, which I feel as if Edie Parker does such a great job at, and that's really the imaginative quality of fashion, the transportation, the elevation, the picking a side of yourself, whether it's fun, grunge, sophisticated, etc., and really playing to that beautiful narrative in your head and becoming that woman. We talked a little bit on a past episode about even the trends, and this is going to come back, even the trends on Instagram that we've gone from more curated editorial photos from influencers to kind of like casual life, you know, painting our very mundane casual life. And I feel as if that trend potentially, you know, I'm not, you know, on the insider of the fashion world, but maybe that trend has potentially kind of trickled over into the fashion world where this idea of something so playful and out of the ordinary, something dramatic, something extra, something that's not just a good pair of jeans and a white t-shirt has maybe gotten a little lost. And I feel like every time I look at Edie, uh, your bags, et cetera, it evokes that for me. I'm not a colorful person. You know, color is not my jam. And yet when I look at Edie Parker, it's this consistent, imaginative, expansive kind of, it allows me to dream a little bit. Do you find that quality in fashion brands today or to continue being a fashion brand today, something that is important to maintain or is the accessibility more kind of everyday thing more at the top of mind when you're designing new products? Look, I think both are really relevant. I think for us, like, as I said, like we're an aspirational brand. We know that we're an aspirational brand because of the way we manufacture, because of the materials we use, because the way we pay laborers, like, you know, we, we pay them well. So it's, we're not ever going to be this is the perfect bag to wear with your sweats, right? It's not, it's like, it's a difficult bag. It's not a tote, it's not slouchy. I myself often, I'm like, I don't feel like wearing a hard clutch today. But I think what's always gets me excited about Edie Parker from season to season and coming back to it is like, you know, words like authenticity, optimism, joyful, colorful. It's like, you know, especially now, like, you know, we've been talking about these things since inception. I always was like, life is very serious. Your accessories don't have to be serious. And I think after this year of like, just like, forget this year, four years, six years, however long it's been, it's like, there's so much suffering in the world. Like, I think if you really like sat every morning and thought about like all the suffering that was happening, it would be hard to get out of bed. 
And so for me, Edie Parker is escapist. And it's like, it's that special thing that like you buy for those nights that you want to dress up and go out, or you want to just like jazz up your, your jeans, or it's the tray because your home is where you're going to be all the time. Or like, it makes you happy because you know that it it's meaningful or it's bespoke or it's something. So I can't speak to, like, I don't think about a collection like, oh, what's this like? How's this going to look on like, you know, a TikTok girl in her like cute sweats and crop top because I'm not that girl anymore. And I think that like Evie Parker is a state of mind. It's a spirit. It's a multi-generational thing. And like, frankly, like if you wanted to wear it with anything, it does look good with all that stuff. But it's like, you have to buy into that idea. That's what the whole point of it is. Hmm, I love that idea. I just, yeah, I, I think emerging from a year of sweatpants, I find myself dressing up a lot more and wanting to go towards luxury versus quite fast fashion versus sweatsuits, which I know Mads is obviously in the opposite. So I just feel as if that missing link of creativity and inspiration in fashion has always been sustained when I look at Edie Parker. Like that kind of link is always there. And that's what I've admired from the brand. Well, I really appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I want to talk about the inspiration, though, for like the colorfulness of Edie Parker, because I was also doing more research and (laughs) saw your home. I don't, I'm not the researcher. It's that one. She's the researcher. I mean, Diane Sawyer. It's so impressive. I, yeah, I am like Diane Sawyer. Yeah. So I saw your home, your beautiful home in One King's Lane. And I was like, this is Jenny Kane vibes. This is like neutral, gorgeous vibes. Where does the pop of color and, and, and excitement and, you know, eccentricity of Edie Parker kind of fit into this. So have you always been a type of person where it's like accessories and accessorizing? Is that way, way for you to channel that energy? Or how do you balance the two looks, if you will? I mean, like, this is going to sound like so bougie. I'm almost embarrassed about it. Here's what happened, to be very honest. We're bougie too. Don't worry. I live in New York City and our apartment, Domino, did a lovely feature on it. You can look it up for a reference. And it's like so colorful. And every room is like an explosion of color and textures and like crazy stuff and like weird folk art. Like, and so we bought this second home that you're referencing in Connecticut. And I had had a baby and I was very pregnant with a second baby. And I was like, I just need this to feel different and escapist. And like, I really want there to be a difference from like, you know, if we're like in nature and outside, like I want this to feel calm versus New York, which is hectic and it's out and it's acrylic everywhere. And so that's why that house looks the way that it does. And I think that's really nice. And I think what the inspiration, like what I'm inspired by when I'm in like those, like that kind of palette is putting acrylic with textures. So we do a lot of pieces where like I'll buy vintage um, rattan pieces or wicker, pop out a top of like a tray or a table and make an acrylic top that like makes it feel like a little bit more special. But it's certainly, it's not as on brand as, as our primary home. I feel like you guys would do so good in Palm Springs. I, I just feel as if everything, like there's, I'm very mid-century, but there's the other type of the mid-century, which is definitely that colorful kind of vibe. And I feel like it just fits in so beautifully. I want you to like design an Edie Parker home in Palm Springs. I mean, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you guys kind of, and we can you now transition into the cannabis side of things because I feel as if the branding is a little more mid-century, 1960s, a little, you know, into that type of world. Again, it's, it feels very Edie Parker, but there is an element where it is distinct. So talk to us 
first off, you know, we're not weed people. We're just going to say that, okay? No, we're not no weed people. We wish we were, but it just doesn't work for us and our temperaments. That being said, I love the community, especially the female community that has. Especially the women. Yeah, exactly. Women, yeah. The female community. I mean, I follow so many, you know, weed accounts on Instagram or whatever. Even your guys' weed account. It's Flower by Edie Parker. And there is something just so exciting and fun about it. And I wonder, did you seem to notice that and then jump into the game? Or were you kind of part of creating that brand with everyone else? Hmm. I don't know how to answer that. I'll give you okay. our sort of like origin story and we can, we can back into it. Look, I, I thank you for your honesty. And I'm, you know, I'm here to try to convert you, but I myself smoke less weed than anybody in my office. You know, I think there is like a lot of, I am like that future customer that maybe you guys will be that like, hasn't figured out what works for you in weed yet, whether it's like microdosing an edible or like a little bit of a tincture. Like I think there is like, there's just so much more on the market now where you can play and find something that works for whatever your, your end goal is. But obviously, you know, to each his own. So I think we saw, look, we launched, so Edie Parker, we launched in 2010. We launched a home collection in 2016. And we were really jazzed about that. And it started as just like, Anytime we went on the road or I went to a trunk show or into a store, people would say, oh, I love my clutch so much. When I'm not using it, I put it on my shelf. I put it on my coffee table. And so we're like, you don't have to make it, use a handbag for that anymore. We'll just make you a box. We'll make you a tray. We'll make you something for the home. That's how that started. And it went well. And we wanted to develop it more and wanted to add to it. And also in ways that like weren't just acrylic, like things that maybe mimicked the look and feel of acrylic, the shine, the patina, something that didn't have to be acrylic. And so in those conversations with the team, which is like, we're 10 women on the team total, including myself, the use of cannabis kept coming up because Edie Parker, we think of it as a lifestyle, right? It's that all those qualities that we spoke to before. And so this use of cannabis in the way that cannabis was evolving and like all the enthusiasm around that market and the newness and the sort of sense of possibility kept coming up as part of this lifestyle that we were talking about. And Edie Parker, our goal has always been to surprise and delight, right? Like for a good time. And we didn't feel like there was anything on the market in cannabis that represented that. So my experience with cannabis, you know, until I started looking at it five years ago, whatever it was, was very medicinal or very masculine or just not feminine, not, not considered, not playful. That's why we started looking into the space. It started with accessories as an expansion, an expansion of our home collection, like things that could be multi-use. You could put it on your coffee table, like a beautiful hand-blown glass fruit pipe you could put it on your coffee table or you could smoke out of it. Like there was multifunction. And then through that sort of research and development, which Maddie, like <laughs> inspired, I'm going to do some of my research like you, but uh, through that research, we felt like there was room actually at the flower level, like the actual dispensary level um, to play there as well. It's so interesting because uh, we grew up in California. And so weed is like part of, it's always been part of the game, even when we were younger. You know, I remember my mom having, and I know it is in the rest of the country, but there's something I think about California that is just very, very weed heavy as far as the culture goes. And so it's been so cool because I remember being super young and my mom, like obviously preferring me to get high versus drunk because it's just so much safer. Weed doesn't work for me because the side effects make me go insane. I really wish it did. But it has been really empowering for us to meet, for us to watch kind of the 
beach bum stoner guy vibe which is what we grew up with to all of a sudden in the last five years women really taking over the market and rebranding it in this in this really really beautiful way um can you talk a little bit about kind of shattering that stigma and maybe how female entrepreneurs mothers businesswomen highly successful and functioning women can use weed as an aid or, or as an aid as a support whatever you want to call it. yeah yeah i mean look obviously there's I think there's more women than men in this country, just like just level set there. And all of the growth during COVID, like so in the, I'm, I'm, I don't have the correct number, but let's say in the 33 states where weed is legal, whether it's medical or rec, weed was deemed an essential, I keep saying weed, but cannabis was deemed an essential business in all of those states during the pandemic, which meant like, you know, it got to stay open, dispensaries got to stay open. And women really drove the stockpiling and the growth of cannabis in that time, because I think like people were home, their anxiety was super heightened. And they really saw that like all the uses that are possible with cannabis. So a lot of women, there's like some high percentage in the twenties of women that use cannabis for menstrual cramps. There's percentages of women that use it for anti-anxiety, for a sleep aid, for sex. And I think that's where, I don't mean the opportunity for our business, but I just mean for women, like, the reduced use of opiates, the reduced use of anti-anxiety medication, the reduced use of alcohol, you know, there's just a lot of benefits. And we play in a lane that like, we love all of that. We love all the benefits of the plant, but we are much more like similar to our heritage brand, which is like, you know, this is for a good time. Like if you just want to get high and have a good time and like take a walk or have sex or do whatever you want to do, then like, we are the brand for you. We live in color. We like, we, we make these accessories not to be hidden in a drawer, but to be displayed on your end table and to be proud of, because we think that like, whether or not you like it is irrelevant. It's like, it's, it's really good for the planet, for job creation, for tax revenues, for criminal justice and social justice reform. Like there's just so much good that's going to come from the legalization of weed. I mean, it's, it's recreational. It doesn't have to also, I mean, you mentioned all the great benefits, but yeah, it doesn't have to be forced or in purpose. Like, you know, I drink to feel something. So I should be able to just smoke weed to feel something and, and have fun. Wait, N- New York just legalized it, right? Yeah, it did. I mean, because I came to New York in March and I was like, holy fuck, every, every corner smells like weed the exact same way. Every corner smelled like weed the minute California legalized it. And it's so crazy mad. Like to think about the fact that New York weed wasn't legalized last year. Like that's so wild to me. It's crazy. The whole city smells like weed. I agree. <laughs> The whole everywhere. I'm like, oh, my God. OK, we get it. You legalized it, people. We hear you're excited. <laughs> so you guys, you know, you obviously created the accessories to smoke weed, but then you also created like a weed that you could buy. So what was that? A, a weed, weed that you can you, buy. You know, the, the weed. You you created it. So, you know, you're in fashion, you're in accessories, you're in home and now you're, you know, making weed. So one was that transition insane and like very difficult and then two what makes it different you know from any other supplier if you will oh my god it's so different it's Mm -hmm. it's borderline impossible i mean honestly we had like a lot of false starts out in california because look first of all the biggest difference between like cannabis and fashion is regulation like this is not a federally legal product so every state that you enter has to be its own thing. Like the packaging regulations are different. The distribution rules are different. The way you advertise and market is different. So it's like getting smart about all of that, which is like extremely labor intensive, extremely capital intensive. 
And then, you know, it's a new business. Like people always use this expression, like it's the wild west. And I think like, I thought it was hyperbolic before we got into it, but it's not like, it is truly crazy. And it's just, it's hard to professionalize. I think it's getting there. And I think like we've learned so much over the past few years, um, but it, it's really hard, particularly in a state like California, which, you know, is a much more mature state. It's also a huge state and it has a huge thriving black market scene. So I think it's really hard to penetrate California. Um, so we look at California at the moment as like, you know, it's like for us, it's like a prestige door. It's like being in a bunch of good boutiques that are not like driving the bottom line, but they're important. And then our focus in terms of selling weed is really east of the Mississippi. It's like in newer states like Illinois, Massachusetts, Michigan, Florida, New York, New Jersey, which are just less established and are doing a good job of, of professionalizing. I have a question about how do you internally or externally manage because while it's under the same brand, obviously we're talking about completely different businesses that live under the same name. How do you as the entrepreneur juggle all of that, juggle two very different businesses, even though they live under the same umbrella, as you just said, it's completely different. How do you juggle that on a day-to-day basis? What's your biggest tip to someone who does eventually want to be in that kind of business where they have two different types of operations going or they have their hands in a few different things, whether or not it's under one brand or not? What's what's kind of the advice there to manage all of that? Uh, use weed? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I think, look, I, I don't think it's a path that I would say makes a whole lot of sense. Like, you know, they're really disparate sort of industries. I think we've been able to do it because as we grow, we work with a lot of licensed partners. So it's like, you know, when we launch, we're launching Illinois and Massachusetts this fall. And our participation in those ventures are really like staying in our lane of the things that we're good at. So we have a partner who does cultivation, distribution, sales, and we do marketing, branding, packaging, all the things that we're good at that we already do for Edie Parker that we're like, you know, so that all lives together. And so it's a little bit, makes it a little bit more sane, but certainly I, I don't recommend trying to focus on fairly disparate businesses as a career path. Do you have two separate teams for this or is it all one team? One team. Wow. So what did your team say to you when you came to them with this? You're like, now we're in the cannabis business. Let's learn on the fly. Because that's also a very entrepreneurial thing for an employee to have to kind of like pivot mindfully. I know you said that it's still branding, et cetera, but just, you know, difference in kind of the day-to-day functions. Totally. Look, I think we're like, even though we've been around for 10 years, we're still, we have a startup mentality, right? I mean, we're a teeny tiny team. So I think the people that are attracted to working in a startup are sort of entrepreneurial in nature. Like they're sort of excited about the possibilities and they sort of like the reason that they work for E. Parker, it's not because like the 401k is better. It's because like there's a sense of possibility and it's exciting and there's newness and we're nimble and small so we can like, you know, pivot and do fun things. So I think that the people who are still with us, like they were psyched. They were like, this is so cool. We totally see the path. We totally see the vision. Like this is a totally new industry that we're like light years ahead of people in this. Like nobody is doing this and they will come. Like we are early in this. And so people were excited. I think other people who had been working at a fast company were like didn't want to devote their lives to weed necessarily and they like gracefully like left and took other jobs and we replaced them and so now people who are on the team like are psyched to be on the team and 
I think there is like sometimes some head scratching when I talk to people about the company and what we do. They're like, we make thousand dollar handbags and sell cannabis, like weird. But I think when we talk about it, as we think about it as a holistic lifestyle and like cannabis is like just being like yet another accessory in your life and just all the shared qualities of the brands, then people sort of get into it a little bit more. I want to discuss that Edie Parker is named after your daughter and you know, obviously it's an amazing legacy that you're kind of passing on to her or for her in a way. But, you know, now there's a brand that's surrounded by weed or cannabis, sorry, cannabis. I don't know, weed is fine, weed's fine. Is weed fine? Okay, I thought. Totally. Yeah, are we being, are we saying the right things here with the industry? <laughs> totally fine. I just felt silly saying it all the time. I'm just trying to be oh, more professional. Okay. You guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so just, you know, first of all, how old is your daughter? She'll be 12 this month. Okay. So was that a consideration in terms of, you know, that being her name tied to this brand? I mean, also just in general, how as a mother do you, you know, speak to your children and educate them on this field, if you will? It was certainly, I mean, it was kind of a consideration. I think it was more a consideration. Like I started the brand when she was a literal teeny tiny baby, you know? Um, And I have two sons as well who I had after who like, you know, don't have companies named after them. So, but it's also, it's her middle name. So Edie Parker is her first and middle name. So it's not like she walks around the world like that. I certainly, it gave me a five second pause, but I also think I'm very proud of participating in cannabis. And we talk to our children in the way that we, A, talk about alcohol, like my husband and I both imbibe very regularly. And so we've always talked about sort of when you do that, how you do it responsibly, how to like be good drinkers and, and not abuse it. And cannabis is the same thing for us. Like, you know, it's something that you, we tell them they should not enjoy until they're 21 legally. But frankly, like when your brain is still developing, we think it's like best to avoid it. And we talk about the fact that it's been used, first of all, it's a plant growing in the ground, that it's been used medicinally for hundreds of years. And we talk a lot about sort of the war on brown and black communities that the war on cannabis really, um, the war on cannabis created. And so we talk about how legalization and, and, and selling weed the way that we do should sort of repair some of that harm. And we, you know, we have a foundation at Edie Parker, the Edie Parker Foundation, that's a 501c3. And we support women and children whose lives have been affected by those low level drug offenses. And so I think it's like, you know, you participate in those conversations, you participate in the good that we does. And that's kind of what we focus on talking to the kids about. Yeah, I remember very distinctly being very young and my mom talking to me about weed and how she straight out said, I'd rather you be high. I was 15 when she told me this, maybe 14. Like she said, I'd straight up rather you smoke weed than black out on alcohol yeah. as a 15 year old, just because of the effects. And I think that for me and Mads, obviously growing up weed is like no big deal. It is like having a glass of wine, not for us in our personal lives, but in our culture that we're surrounded by that I think that businesses like yours, the work that you're doing and et cetera, I think that this conversation around the stigma, the taboo, et cetera, of weed, especially low level drug offenses, which is just absolutely terrible to think about those who are incarcerated because of weed charges. I think that the narrative is alcohol and weed are going to be on the same playing field in like 10 years, I think. First of all, your mom sounds super cool, but yeah, I mean, look, I feel like you guys would be really good friends. I already love her. Uh, yeah. Look, I think, again, I drink alcohol a lot, like, you know, very, very regularly. I love alcohol, I love the ritual around alcohol. But the fact is like, 
alcohol, when abused, leads to a lot of deaths, a lot of drunk driving deaths, a lot of abuse, a lot of violent crime, a lot of domestic abuse, which, by the way, is like, the, you know, like 80 percent of the crime in this country is the abuse is like domestic abuse. And that's I mean, how much of that do you think is, is alcohol fueled? And we just does not share those statistics. Like weed is sleepier, obviously. It's mellow. Like people aren't roidy when they smoke weed. They're not driving like crazy. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think that on the West Coast, again, in these more established markets like Oregon and Colorado, like you are for the first time seeing alcohol sales decline because weed sales are so strong. And I think that's great because I think like as like these are case studies, these are markets that have been established and the sales revenue and the job creation is happening. Like, you know, these are it's they're weed is benefiting communities in a good way. Yeah. And I would say coming up next, which you don't have to comment on, but coming up next is the psychedelic industry. Like it's time for mushrooms to get legalized in certain quantities. A hundred percent. I mean, I microdose this year and then ac- accidentally had a full shroom trip. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that even, well, you know, I dosed it wrong. What are you going to do? And I think that it's coming out, you know, I'm hearing just kind of on the pulse of women in my generation saying that they're microdosing to get rid of postpartum depression and anxiety. People are microdosing to get creative, et cetera. And so I think that following the, the, the cannabis industry is going to be this, the mushroom industry, I believe. I totally agree. I love mushrooms. I love microdosing. I think that's going to be amazing. And I think like, I am dying to do a guided trip. I think it will revolutionize the psychiatric industry in a way that's really great. Like, I think we're all so hooked on pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, even I, who like, like talks about the benefits of weed and sleep, like I still love Ambien and that's not great. You know, like weed is so much better for me than Ambien and yet I still have this addiction. So I think that like, I'm thrilled about psilocybin coming right up behind weed. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Okay. So, you know, Scout and I talked about how we're not particularly weed people, but we want you know, we're open. Can No, no, no. Can we say why we're not weed people? Because like- Okay, well, that's what I wanted to ask because we, we're open to exploring. As you mentioned, we might not be doing it no, right. but let me, let me tell my experience okay. to defend right. myself against the weed. Against, against the, weed. the weed. So I have been high hundreds of times. I got high in high school. I got high, you know, three times a week in college. Gained a lot of weight because of it. Whatever. I never felt, I I think I was, you know, exploring as a kid, et cetera, et cetera. I just was doing it, to be honest, to do it because that's what we were all doing. And and it was safe. It wasn't a big deal, um, especially like, you know, in the culture that we grew up in. And I never particularly felt what other people felt about it. Granted, I have a mental illness with bipolar disorder, so that could get a little cross-wired there. But I remember after a while, smoking weed made me so paranoid that I thought that the people around me were conspiring to kill me and I would hide. And so then I was like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. And people kept telling me, no, there's different strains. I'm like, dude, I have smoked 200 times. Like, yeah, but- I am, I'm bound to get a good strain in one of those moments. But one time I did, but I think it was laced with something because like, it was the best night of my life. Maybe it was Molly. We don't know. I think it was laced with Molly. That might have been it. So I think, you know, I'm really open to it. The last time I smoked weed, I had an edible and it was the worst experience of my life. So I'm very much open to it. I, I love I love the culture. Like our all our cousins after Shabbat, like will just smoke with our parents. And like it, it is just it is such a interesting bond that they have together that we just 
I never felt like a part of. So in terms of your products and what you have uh, created, if someone were to kind of dip their toes into cannabis and wanted to try something that's, you know, doesn't like freak you out the first time you do it. And it's like more of this recreational fun experience. What would you try out? Okay. I have so much to say. I feel like Scott, maybe you should just not smoke weed. It seems like it's just like your physiology doesn't work with weed and that's fine. I tried so hard, Brett. I tried so hard and I did everything I could. I did the edibles. I did the smoking. I did the this. I did the balloon. I did the bong. I did the pipe. I did everything. Yeah. And I just got to a point where I was like, God fucking damn it. Everyone is, yeah. everyone is benefiting from this miracle plant and I am just excluded from the party. Which I think is cool. There's plenty of drugs for you. Like I think it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank like, you, you Brett. Don't Thank need you. To, and I think like, don't force it. And look, everybody else, I think it's like for me to have a successful weed experience, it's really about just having very little. Like I don't mess with edibles unless they're a microdose. Like I like a two and a half milligram edible and that's fine. And then when I'm smoking a joint, like I like a puff of weed, you know, and then I think it does what it's supposed to do, which is just to make everything feel better. Like colors look better, touch feels better, food tastes better, but it's very little for me. And so I think that like you just have to like dip your toe in and like obviously like the classic mistake everybody makes with edibles is like they take it they wait they don't feel it they take another and then they're like tripping their face off and they're miserable so i think it's like just really being patient and and building up your tolerance is the only way to do it and then what what kind of weed products do you all supply at flower by ed parker so right now we only sell in California, we sell um, mini pre-rolls and we sell eighth jar flower pots. And then in the other markets we're entering into, we sell where we will be selling like a little small, actually they're not small, they're half grams, a best bud two pack, a joint two pack. So it's just rolled flour in a joint, very clean, great quality, like very simple. We are going to launch obviously more SKUs, but that's what we're entering these new markets in because we feel like, you know, you can't really beat a pre-roll flour is pretty pure. And that's what we believe in. We love it. We love to see it. Brett, you're revolutionizing the world. I mean, this is my favorite podcast I've ever done. I think. <laughs> It's like just so casual and fun. You guys have such good personalities. You know, we try. Oh, we thank really you. Where'd you go to high school? I went to the San Diego Jewish Academy. Oh, I thought you were in L.A., not San Diego. Okay. I'm in San Diego. She's in L.A., but we grew up in San Diego together. Got it. Well, you guys are delightful, and I'm jealous of your relationship. It's so nice. Thank I'm really you. close with my brother, thank too, you. but he would never do a podcast with me. Oh, well, we should throw our mom into the mix. You'll love her even Dying more. Younger. She's the best. Dying yeah. Younger. Yeah, she's 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 an icon of a mother, truly. Like, I only want a, a daughter, which, by the way, I know this sounds weird, but sometimes before I go to bed, like, the thoughts start happening, you know? And I was like, Edie Parker, tomorrow, Edie, oh, my God, I love that fucking name so much. So if you hear from me in a couple oh, years and I have a daughter named Edie... It, I was like, that sounds really nice. And Edie Sedgwick, and it's iconic. And now we got the purses. And, and it was like a whole... The, now we it got was the like, weed. It's a really good name. Wait, can I just go back to your mother for a second? Like, yes. why do you love her so much? Like, just give me, like, some parenting okay. tips. Like, what, what makes her so great? Okay. So let me tell you my favorite story, which I've told on the podcast, which my grandma texted me and said, are you sure that you want to talk about your mom like that publicly? So my favorite story, which I think sums up my mother perfectly, is when I started high school... I got home from the first day of school and there was condoms on my bed. And she came into my room and she said, listen, it took me a really long time to figure out that I could pleasure myself without a man. 
and I don't want it to take you that long. And so looking back on that, she didn't give me a sex talk about how to be safe with another man. She gave me the message that I have control over my own pleasure, which can seep into so many other different messages of like what I can do as a woman by myself. She was extremely proactive. She was not delusional about anything that I was doing. You know, she was made sure that I was safe with sex. She made sure that I enjoyed sex. Well, the first time I lost my virginity, I came home and told her and she was like, listen, there's this thing called lube because this and all that. And so she, for me, had such an open dialogue that there is not one thing I've not told her, including like, you know, we, I was stranded on in a gas station at 3 a.m. with my friends in high school, drunk off our asses, and our, and our driver got drunk. And we're all freaking out because we don't know what to do. And I'm like, I'm going to call my mom. And they're like, no, no, no. This is not when you call your mom. I was like, this is when you call your mom. I called her. She picked us up. She drove everyone home. It was no questions asked. I went to bed and I wasn't in trouble. So she was able to look at me and trust my decisions. She told me very young. She said, listen, your dad has an addictive personality. If you decide to experiment with drugs, not don't do that. If you decide, giving me complete autonomy over my choices, very young, she says, I want you to know that addiction runs in your family. So please be on high alert and come let me know if something doesn't feel right to you. So it was just this no judgment. She was honest. She knew that what we were doing as kids, we were sneaking around, having sex with our boyfriends, drinking, you know, at 16. And she respected us enough. And since she was so open with me, I could go to her when I really needed. And so I never was put in a position where I was not safe or uncomfortable or anything like that. Well, she sounds wonderful. I think you're right. I think it's the respect, like respecting your children to make their own choices, like letting them know they're people with their own thoughts and feelings and not just like, you know, Mm -hmm. mirrors of you is really like such a great way to parent. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe too liberal for some, but yeah, (laughs) no, she drove me to get birth control and she sat there and the doctor was like, so why are you going on birth control? And my mom was like, for birth control. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So next time you're in yeah. LA, Brett, you're going to come over for Shabbat and we're going to have, we're going to have a great time. Yeah. We're having a good time. Well, Shana Tova, you guys, you're the best. Shana Tova, have an easy fast that I'm not fasting. <laughs> They're actually, but, I, but I'm breaking fast with bagels. I'm very excited. There we go. Oh yeah. Always break the fast. Oh, that's the move. Yeah. Always attend the break, the, the break the fast. Yeah. Okay, will you tell everybody where to find all of the things that you do? Yes. Let me see if I remember. I've got like hyphens and like weird things in there. So I am a dinosaur, so I only really know Instagram. So our Instagram is at Edie underscore Parker, not a hyphen, Edie underscore Parker. And our flower account is at Edie Parker Flower, one word, Edie Parker Flower. And our websites mimic those. There's an Edie Parker website. There's an Edie Parker Flower website. There's an Edie Parker CBD website because marketing and sales restrictions on cannabis and CBD are crazy. So we needed yet a third website. So find us at any of those places. Shoot us a note. Say hello. Whatevs. We'll put it all Yay. in the show notes as well. Um, and sisters, you can find us at OK Sis Podcast. Thank you. And we love you. Love you. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. 
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. <laughs> 